Hello beautiful, you are listening to episode 98 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name, I'm a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story your story is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back, sis. Click the subscribe button to make sure you are always first to know when a new episode drops. And tell at least one girlfriend about the Africana Woman podcast. We are one conversation away from the official 100th episode celebration. We have been celebrating the road to 100 episodes for the last 10 days online. So you still have a chance to win an amazing giveaway. Catch the replays because they have been so good. I have been talking to the owners of absolutely brilliant businesses. Now let's get straight into the conversation. It's a special Patrice Washington is an award-winning author and podcaster, transformational speaker, hope-restoring coach, and media personality committed to teaching a holistic approach to life while redefining the term wealth to its original meaning, well-being. Listen, I am so, so, so excited to welcome Patrice Washington to the Africana Woman Mike. Hi, Patrice. Hello. I am so excited to be here. And I'm just so proud of you. Can I just start by saying that? <laughs> I mean, I knew you before there was Africana Woman podcast and all these big things. <laughs> and I am. it has been such... A pleasure to just watch your ascent. Oh, thank you. So you guys know I'm always talking about Patrice, but let me give you like a, a background story of how we came to know each other. Um, Patrice, do you know how I, I don't know if I've told you the story about how I found you. Do you know that story? I don't think I remember how you initially found me. All right. Let me tell it to you. So, guys, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't know if I'll get through this episode without a few tears here and there. But, you know, whatever. Let's just do this. So, 20, what was that? 2019, I was going through a terrible period. Um, you know, I was having depression. I was um, having anxiety attacks in the middle of nowhere like just you know in crazy places and I remember there was a period where it was a long weekend um there was a a holiday and I was alone for whatever reason and I was in bed the whole weekend this was um probably three four days straight in bed did not bath did not um eat I was just crying I was an absolute mess. Now, my sister had introduced me to podcasts um, maybe a couple of months before, but it wasn't really something I was like really into. I was just like, oh, okay, she listens to these podcasts. Okay, this is podcasting thing. But for whatever reason, on that last day, that Sunday, I woke up and I said, you know what? Enough is enough. 
let me try and find something that might help, right? And then I got out my phone and I started searching in the podcast app and there was Redefining Wealth, spirit-led. So I was, I started listening and I'm, I, I do, I go right to the beginning, right? I don't know how many episodes you had by then. And I went right to the beginning and I started listening um, to the breakdown of all the pillars. And, you know, when it got to like the space pillar and you're just talking about how your space is a physical representation of what's going on in your mind. I literally stood up in that moment and started making my bed, cleaning my room. And literally that was the beginning of the change. That's how you like you don't even know patrice i was in a really bad space so i know the power i told you guys i know the power that a podcast can have in just transforming someone's life um and i would listen to you just now I started like binge listening to all of them. I started getting my fifth pillar. I started walking. I started like, I started going for therapy. Um, and when you put out that call for the mastermind, I was like, Oh, okay. Let me just jump on the call just for the sake of, <laughs> I was not planning to sign up. I just wanted to be like, Oh, let me just meet Miss Patrice. So I just jumped on. And then I started listening. I was like, you know what? I need this. I need this. And I mean, financially, I wasn't really in a good space. Right. Um, but I just said, you know what? I can, let me just do this. And um, Gwen was so sweet because she, like, I was like, okay, I can't do this. But she's like, no, we negotiated. And, you know, she came up with a plan for me. It was great. Um, So I was able to do it. And let me tell you, I think my default has always been to do life alone. But I feel that having learned and just learned from you and been in the um the mastermind and then also in purpose to platform and then i really 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 understood the power of community and just going forth from that i went in like especially with purpose to platform i went in guys talking about my cake business if you remember i went in like oh my god of course i remember (laughs) Your beautiful wedding cake. Right. There were many talks about the, the bakery and the business. And I remember. So I went in talking about my cake business and I walked out with Africana Woman. So I just want That was to... just a blog at first. Exactly. Like I, I started the blog in there. So this is such a, a, a full circle moment for me. Um I mean, you guys, when you're listening, you know what's been happening like these last few months. Um, it, you know, the podcast has been nominated for two um, African podcast awards. Um, we had our first retreat, um, Africana Woman Retreat, and we're already planning our first international retreat to Marrakesh. Um, 
we are at a hundred episodes. So there's the celebration on the um, 24th of September. Like, I can't even explain how much of an impact you have made in my life. And I'm just so grateful. I hope you know. <laughs> I'm so proud. I'm so grateful. So, guys, as we collect ourselves. <laughs> let, me, let me just say this. Um, you know, when you start out to do anything, you hope that it will have genuine impact. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that my mantra is chase purpose, not money. Mm-hmm. And I think you really discovered the podcast like 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, like I was not monetizing the podcast. It was literally just a labor of love. It was like, I want to establish myself as a thought leader in this space. And I want more people to understand that building wealth is not just about, let me focus on the cash. There are so many other parts of life that will impact how you show up. And for me, it is never lost on me to see so many of the women who actually listen to the podcast and adopted these pillars as their own. Like, it wasn't just, and you know, I used to say this over and over again. This is not just a cute thing to say on a podcast. This is literally how I live my life. This is literally how I want you to think about your life. And I promise you, if you just stick with it, your life will be barely recognizable. You will literally look back and go, oh my gosh, look at how far I've come in six months or a year or two years. And so seeing you three years, you know, into having this awareness at best of the, of the pillars, but then actually putting action to it and then watching you go through purpose to platform and give yourself permission to embrace Africana woman, because most people don't embrace the thing they're truly being called to do because they're concerned about the money. But when you start to believe deeply, if I just chase purpose, if I just chase purpose, if I just stay committed to the call, if I just do what I feel like God and my spirit are leading me to do, if I stop battling with my soul and the vision that I see and I feel in my spirit, maybe this could be something. Like, I believe that this could be something. And so for me, who's really just some a few years ahead of you in, in this, right, for me, um, that has manifested into a multiple seven figure business, but that was not the intention. The intention was to share my heart and do what I felt like God was calling me to do. So by the time you came to the mastermind, there had been no monetizing really of redefining wealth. Um, but to see the impact and the ripple effect that is happening all over the world, because I have clients who've come through these programs from literally all over the world I am constantly in awe. Like my heart is always so full. And when I say at the end of the podcast, I want you to live your life's purpose and find fulfillment and know that you can earn more without chasing money. This is the fulfillment piece for me. This like, this is the fulfillment piece for me because I know that you are out there doing amazing work. And I look at all of you, we have like, I think 800 students now who've come through one of these programs, one or another. 
and I just casually can scroll through Facebook and see podcasts and books being published and people planning retreats and getting awards and being featured in magazines and newspapers and telling stories about the clients that they've served. And for so many of you, you know, this true, like I had to talk crazy to some of y'all at some point. (laughs) I had to push you to like, believe that this was enough that you don't have to do whatever it is you think you're making up in your mind. And I will never, ever, ever get tired of seeing y'all win. And I also will never hold my tongue when I see so much greatness in, in you guys. Cause we were all born with purpose for purpose on purpose. And some of those conversations were heavy and we would cry on our calls and we, <laughs> we still do purpose. The platform hasn't changed. We still love a good cry day for our day. <laughs> so, and command the state, they cry in there too. I can't, we can't get away from it. But we cry because doing purpose work is not easy. I know that you've had a lot of sacrifice during this time. I know that it hasn't been convenient. I know that maybe you haven't always felt supported. I know that you've been frustrated. I know that you've been confused. And yet you stayed on the path of chasing purpose. And you know that I believe in obedience over everything over the discomfort, over the inconvenience, obedience over perfection, that when we continue to stand in what we know God is calling us to do, the provision will be made. Like it's not, it's not for us to be attached to how we get there. We're committed to the vision and to see your vision continue to grow and blossom and be recognized. Do you know how happy I genuinely am for you and for the people listening because you get to experience Chalu. What if she never got out that bed? What if you didn't try? What if you didn't allow yourself to expand and get resourceful for mastery and momentum for that mastermind at the time? There are so many of us who are not walking in the gifts that God has called us to that it's been given to us freely and we're not operating in purpose because we won't get out the bed. We won't take one step. Getting up and making your bed that day freaking changed your life. Yeah. And it's changing the lives of women in particular from the African diaspora all over the world. Like, like me getting up the, off the bathroom floor in 2009 mm-hmm. when I lost everything and I went from a seven figure business to scraping up change, literally looking for change in couch cushions and shaking old purses. And still after having that breakdown <laughs> in the bathroom, that guy, why me moment still getting up off that floor and searching for the real definition of wealth and trying to figure out the difference between knowledge and wisdom and getting in, in God calling me to that Bible verse, Proverbs seventeen sixteen. what good is money in the hands of a fool? If they have no desire to seek wisdom, I could have heard, get your Bible and sat there and said, I'm not done crying. 
I could have heard, you need to Google wealth because you don't understand what it really means. And then when I saw the first definition, money and material possessions, I could have stopped there because that's what most people do. And something in my spirit said, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper until I found the 12th century definition, the condition of well-being. That Bible verse and that definition of wealth literally changed my life. And it is why you and I are here today, but it's why there are tens of thousands of people out there that say chase purpose, not money, or that they're redefining wealth. And it literally takes one thing to change everything. It takes one thing. I'm so How amazing is that. So I, yeah, but you know that I absolutely love you. So, all right, let's get into it. <laughs> Guys, this was the, the episode hasn't even started. <laughs> it's like one of those sermons where it's like the pastor's like, all right, let me start preaching now. <laughs> it's been one hour. But okay. um, what is your favorite childhood memory? Wow, that is a great question. Wow, I've never pondered this before. My favorite childhood memory. Can I be honest? I don't recall having a lot of fun as a child. I grew up very mature and probably too mature. Like I didn't learn how to ride a bike until I was 12, if that gives you like an idea. And I grew up above a storefront in South Central Los Angeles, not the best neighborhood. There were a lot of drive-bys and a lot of gang and drug activity. So I wasn't allowed to go outside. So I stayed in the house most of the time. And my grandmother, who pretty much raised me, because my mom worked a lot, she didn't like noise of any kind. You could not be loud. So I didn't even sing, like, as a kid. Now I sing to the top of my lungs in the shower. I am Whitney and Mariah in the shower, okay? But when I was a kid, I only could do quiet things. I liked puzzles. I liked coloring books. I like to write and I like to draw. What do I do as an adult now? I put it on my stories all the time. I will put together a puzzle. (laughs) I still use adult coloring books. Obviously, I've written five books and (laughs) I write a lot for just different things in my career. Um, And I read a lot of books. But as a kid, I I guess it's so hard because I don't remember having big fun as a kid unless I went to Belize. So my family is Belizean. I'm first generation American. And as soon as school would get out from about six years old or so until about 13, I would go every summer to Belize where I would eat until I could not eat any (laughs) anymore. All the things, all the Belizean food I can, I could. And then um, staying outside and playing. In Belize, I could do that because at the time it was really safe, especially where my family lived. It was super safe. But doggone it. I like you stumped me. I'm like, 
favorite childhood memory. I was so glad to not be a child anymore. <laughs> the best, best thing about childhood was growing up and leaving. When I was a kid, I used to tell them, Chilu, I don't belong here. My grandma, I remember my grandmother got really mad at me one time because I was like seven or eight and we lived several people at a time in a two bedroom, one bath apartment. And we always had family coming in and out from Belize. They would come, they would get deported. There was just, it was just, it was my, my grandma used to call it the gang rest stop on, you know, when I was a kid. And, um, I remember being like seven years old. I would say it from time to time. I would just look around and it felt so chaotic all the time. And I would go, I don't belong here. And they were like, what do you mean by that? I, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> like, I literally don't belong here. And it wasn't to be rude or to be disrespectful because I know that they did the best they could with what they had. I just always felt a greater sense of purpose. And I always felt like, you're not going to stay here. Like you, there's more, there has to be more to life than this. Even though I hadn't seen it yet, I knew that there had to be more than this neighborhood and this foolishness that I see every day. That's so interesting. It, it sounds like it's something that, especially I feel like as children that you inherently knew, you know what I mean? And so I guess my question to follow that would be, what was your term of reference when it came to what wealth is? Because you knew that, okay, I, I'm not meant to be here. Like this is, this is not my portion. Like <laughs> yeah. this is not my reality. Um, but what was your terms of reference when it came to thinking about, okay, what does wealth look like? You know, what was, what am I, what am I chasing? Yeah. Well, for certain, because I grew up also feeling really ugly. Um, so I also grew up in a household where I was constantly told I was the ugly one. So I had pretty low self-esteem in terms of my looks, but very high esteem when it came to my abilities academically. So for me, I always, I bought into the like, go to school, get good grades, and you can go to college and do something great. So that was what I did. I got addicted to achievement because it was the only way I felt like I could earn love. So I was always um, straight A student, very active, all those things. And my only goal was to get out the hood. I would like, I was like, I'm going to use school and whatever else I can. I have got to get out of here. I lived in that same apartment from childhood till 18 when I went to college the entire time. And so my only thing was go to school and get the heck out of here. Like, and I did, I ended up getting into the university of Southern California, which was very prestigious in California, in, in California. Um, so I didn't go far from home. I was still in LA, but it felt like a different world. And once I got there and was exposed to even more people and possibility, I thought wealth was like, make good money, make six figures. That was like the golden thing, you know, like make six figures. I wanted to live in a nice house where I could paint the walls. Speaking of space pillar, that was always a thing for me. We lived in that apartment that whole time and we weren't allowed to paint or like, you know, do things. And I was very aware that there was too much clutter. And so I always felt some kind of way, like I would be trying to 
secretly throw my mom and grandma stuff away so I could make room to close the cabinet <laughs> or like organize things. I was hyper aware. So to me, I had spent the night at one of my mom's white friends homes when my mom um, was out of the country on a job assignment. And I had this um, summer job. And so it was easier for me to stay with them rather than take three buses to get there. And they had different color walls and the furniture matched <laughs> and all the cabinets and drawers closed and everything was neatly folded. And I was about 15 and I was like, and they had, I think a BMW. And I was like, I need to go to school, make six figures, get a townhouse. I didn't, I didn't even care about a backyard. I was like, I need a townhouse. And I, I want like a Mercedes or a BMW. That's what I thought wealth was. I thought you had hit the jackpot and you would be set forever. If you could paint your own walls, <laughs> whatever color you wanted, and your furniture matched. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting. So, I mean, I'll just fast forward for, um, for the audience if you're not familiar with um, Patrice's story. So you um, are entrepreneurial. You often say that you're not a very good employee <laughs> and you had tried to do some jobs, wow. and, um, but you started a business and, um, and you started a business, I believe with Gerald, right? The real estate business, right? Um, and then what year was that when everything came crashing down? Well, the recession started to rear its ugly head around 2007. Yeah. At the time, I was on hospital bed rest with my daughter, Reagan, yeah. in 2007. People, there were murmurs about recession is coming, recession is coming. Um, but I was making so much money at the time. I was living the dream, right? So I had bought the properties. I was painting walls. <laughs> all my furniture matched. Um, my husband at the time, we drove matching Range Rovers. Um, you know, I had 16 loan officers and real estate agents in this company that I started with him at 21 years old during my senior year in college. I was living the dream. I had already hit and surpassed even what my mom's white friend that I stayed with had done. So I felt like I was great. And so when people were talking about the recession, I was like, I didn't really stop to pay attention. I was making so much money. It didn't even yeah. occur to me. I was so young. I was 25, 26. And I was like, huh, what is a recession? I, I, I never stopped. I was just like grind, 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 make it happen mode. Right. And then I take a fall down the stairs at 20 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it sends me into preterm labor. When I get to the emergency room, they're like, ma'am, I'm sorry. This baby's coming any minute now. Like, we can't help you. And what was supposed to be any minute now turned into me being on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks. Wow. So it's while I'm in the hospital, I'm watching the news and I'm seeing now, this is the first time I've had a chance to stop. That's why sometimes we should not um, fight when God brings us to a moment of being still. We don't like to be still, but usually there's a reason that we have to be still because there's something we're not paying attention to, right? I have this moment where I can't get up. I can't do anything. I'm in hospital on bed rest and I'm watching the news. And now I'm like, oh, this is what they've been talking about. It had only been a couple months that they were referencing things. And I'm seeing the banks that I work with close down one by one. 
and I have my team members are calling me saying, what, like, what's happening? My deal just fell apart. My deal, one after another, team members who didn't even really know each other like that. They're call- my deal just fell apart. They, they're going to sue us. They're taking the deposit. They're keeping the client's deposit, like all these things. I'm freaking out. The doctor comes maybe four or five weeks into my stay. She says, hey, we're monitoring the baby on that belt and whatever's stressing you out is stressing the baby out. If you don't stop, you will leave here two years in a row with no baby. Cause I had a son the year before who passed same doctor, same hospital, same floor. And I was like, okay. And I had them take the TV off the wall. I, I was like, I can't sit here and just keep allowing myself to watch this and get into this doom and gloom. And, and Gerald brought me a red leather journal an iPod with praise and worship music and a Bible. And that is how I got all the way to 30 weeks and some days and Reagan was delivered safely. But that started in 2007 over the next year or so is when it really got like, I couldn't like we had exhausted savings. I had to lay everyone off. Um, We got evicted from our office space. They were suing us for all this back rent. My homes have one, my main home foreclosed. And then I was trying to do short sales to save the others. Um, cars got repossessed. Everything that could happen in 2008 happened. So by 2009, if you can imagine, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had this new baby. I felt so guilty that I had brought my child into this world under these pretenses. I was like, why wasn't she born when everything was like good? Like, why would you bring a child into this world and you can't even take care of them? You are looking in couch cushions for change to put money together to buy milk. I ended up on welfare. I got food stamps. I got any type of government assistance I could potentially get or apply for that I knew of at the time. It was literally the worst season of my life. And the thing that I have been taught is go to school, get good grades, and you'll be fine. And I felt betrayed. By the time I was on that bathroom floor, I was like, God, why? I went to school. I did the right thing. I treat people well. I operate in integrity. I don't bother nobody. (laughs) Like, I'm always trying to help people. Why me? So by 2009, I I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I'm just going to take you back a little bit when, you know, you know, your business was thriving and you, you were doing well. What was your relationship like with your family? Cause you know, you've been telling them like, listen, this is not my life, but when they saw you in that space, um, did they treat you differently or, you know, what was that dynamic like? Um, I had a great relationship with my family at that time. I think even though they were very concerned when I initially said that I was not looking for a job graduating from college, um, my, my mom and dad were like, um, that's why you went to college. (laughs) Like, so you could get a good job. And I was very adamant that I was going to do my own thing. And my dad kept saying, you need to go to law school. I told you in third grade, I want to be a lawyer that I only knew two things, lawyer and doctor and blood ain't my thing. Right. So, um, they were very concerned, but as, as the the years went on, they were very, very proud of what, um, we created. And 
I don't think they held that against me. Um, I think that as they started to see my life unfold, they were like, oh, this is what she meant. Like, good thing she doesn't listen to anybody. Um, so they were very proud. Uh, I ended up at about 25 paying all my mom's debt off, like all the credit card debt, because I had gotten into credit card debt in college. And a part of that was watching her bad money habits, right? So I was really smart. But as I, as you know, I always talk about money is more emotional. It wasn't about being smart. I was um, mimicking what I saw. And that's what I thought adulthood was. So I paid off my mom's debt, um, you know, and, and other people in my family were doing decently at that time. So my, my relationship with them was pretty good. They didn't know when everything hit the fan, though. So the thing that I, I, I have no regrets, but the thing that I learned through that season, like you talked early in the episode about community and not doing things in isolation. Well, when anything would go wrong, I didn't know how to be vulnerable. Vulnerability was not really a skill that I was, that was demonstrated for me as a child. I learned suck it up and make it happen and you'll figure it out. That's how I was raised. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. So even at the height of everything happening, when my home foreclosed, sold everything on Craigslist in a couple of days and moved across country, my family thought I was just moving. They did not understand truly what was happening. They didn't know I was losing all my money. They didn't know that the property foreclosed. They didn't know the Range Rovers were repossessed. They had no idea. They probably started to find out when the public started to find out when I made, when I, I allowed myself to tell the truth about my story years into my career. That was some of the first time that my mom, my brother, like people in my family, they were like, wait, what? All of that was happening. And I think a, a part of that was the shame, um, guilt, embarrassment, because I had talked all that smack as a kid. <laughs> I don't belong here. I didn't do it from a place of arrogance. I was just, it was like literally just in my spirit, like, hmm, I don't belong here. But I literally was right back in the same type of environment. When I moved cross country and lived in Louisiana, the neighborhood that I lived in was eerily similar to the neighborhood I grew up in. And that was a part of the breakdown. God, how am I here? I did things the right way. I, you know, like this, this is crazy because even as a kid, I wasn't on welfare. Like my mom worked a lot and we didn't have everything, but she did enough to make sure we were sustained. So I had never been in a position like that or seen it up close for myself. So they didn't even know. Yeah. When everything was happening. They didn't know. Do you think that, um, cause you know, you were saying like, you know, the, the shame, and the and you know all the emotions that are going behind that do you think that you went on welfare and you know found all of those things because of reagan like if she wasn't there maybe you wouldn't even have gone to those if i didn't have reagan i probably would have suffered longer and harder yeah, it was the motherly instinct that kicked in, like for my baby, I have got to figure something out. That was the only thing that humbled me enough. Had I not had Reagan, I don't know that I would have been humble enough to just go 
um, and get the support that I needed. And I remember being in that welfare office and when they called my name and you, you're in a room full of people, like a long waiting room, it's hot, you're fanning yourself, you're, you know, you're number 97, they're on 15, you're like, oh my God. So it was hours of being in this place and waiting and I was fine the whole time. Like I was reading a book or something. And then when they caught my name, I started tearing up. And by the time I got to the desk with this woman and she started asking me questions, I started bawling. Mm-hmm. And she was like, get, basically she was, it was a black woman. She was kind of disgusted with me. Like, girl, get it together. This is a long line. Don't nobody have time to answer these questions. Right. <laughs> but she was like, and I was explaining to her my story. I was like, I don't belong here because I owned a business last year. And she's like, did you pay taxes? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. She was like, then you put into this system. If you need to get out of it, get what you need out of it right now. You're not going to be here forever. And I was like, I'm not going to be here forever. This is temporary. This doesn't mean that I have to live the rest of my life. Because you got to remember, 18 years growing up where I did in the hood, telling myself, you got to get out of here. And then four years in college. And then I come out of college, I'm 21, 22, about to turn 22 or something like that. I only have four years of this successful business. And now it feels like I'm right back. So I had more experience like in the hood than I had like outside of the hood. Mm -hmm. And something in my mind had made me feel like you blew it. You like, you're going to do another 18 years over here. And when she said, it's not like it's forever. I was like, yeah, this is temporary. This Mm -hmm. is temporary. And that, and that was a part of the catalyst of me starting to shift my mindset. Like Mm -hmm. if you did it before, you could do it again. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you making this permanent? This is, this is a season. You notice, like, I always talk about seasons that has been the, like the game changer for me over these last 15 years or so, this is a season. It's, it's not final until we make it final. This is a season. This ain't the, the, the series finale series finale happens when you take your dirt nap. (laughs) That's the finale. That's the no more, but at each, you know, stage of our lives, it's a season. And so once I learned that it was a season, I started to adopt mantras, like been there, done that on the way back. So when I would see like a Range Rover, I would say, been there, done that on the way back. Or I would drive through nice neighborhoods and I would be like, oh, been there, done that on the way back. Anything, like any, anything, a BMW, right? Like, and, and for me at the time, because I had not yet um, discovered that scripture too and started to really shift my mindset at the time, just, just shifting my mindset that these things could be possible for me again was the beginning. It wasn't all deep. It, it wasn't that deep. And I would say, if you've never been there, right, you can develop a mantra for where you desire to see yourself going. In Redefine Wealth for Yourself, I talk about living in your aspirational reality. And so that means like going to put yourself in places and spaces that resemble how you want to live and just allowing yourself to experience it, to embody it, to feel it. So even if you've never had an experience where you had like some luxurious lifestyle, go test drive a car, go put your, go put yourself in that seat of that Tesla. If that's what you're into or whatever that thing is for you, 
Go get in the seat and test drive a car. There's no saying that you, you can only test drive something once either. You might say, I'm a test driver every month till I have it. I'm a test drive all the models till I really find the one I want. I'm going to go do those tours. I'm going to go see open houses in the neighborhoods that I desire to live in one day. Like I'm going to go to the restaurants that I want to eat in one day. And I might sit there and just order water, but I'm going to be in that space. I might just have a cup of tea, but I'm going to put myself in that space so I can feel it until I get to the point where I can walk in and order what I want and not even look at the side with the price. I'm just going for what I desire. Those are also things that I started to do back then. And I, I believe that all of that visualization and getting myself in that energy was a part of, you know, how I rebuilt as well. Um, so, you know, you, when you talk about, you know, your experiences, you often call it the messy middle. Um, and you, you know, with social media, everybody's, you know, talking about their highlights, all of the fancy stuff, but then there's the messy middle and, I, I would love for you to just um, sort of uh, just talk a little bit about, you know, how long was that process from the bathroom floor to now you really, um, so for example, when, let's say when the podcast started and, you know, you started doing a program like Mastery and Momentum, um, you know, what, how long was that? Because I feel like, you know, when we see you, we're kind of like, oh my gosh, she's there and yeah, she told the story, but it feels like if I'm going to try and do it, it's kind of like, it's going to be, Oh, it'll take me six months or it'll take me three months. (laughs) You know what I mean? But what does that, what is the, what does the messy middle actually look like? That was a long middle. You know, if, if we're using the bookends of being on the bathroom floor and getting to the podcast, which didn't start until 2017, we're talking about eight years. We're talking about eight years, right? And a lot happened within those eight years. So starting with the, the, the beginning of that is I was in New Orleans, in Louisiana, outside of New Orleans, did not like it there, did not feel at home, didn't feel at peace in that neighborhood. I ended up in Atlanta on my brother's couch and that is where I really started to, to thrive. I would say started to really flourish again. Um, and I say that because it's also important to know that if you can't bloom where you're planted, it's okay to go. Some of us just stay planted in places that don't serve us at all. Right. So I ended up on my brother's couch And I lived on my brother's couch for several months. It would be about seven, eight months before I got my own apartment. And then my husband came and because he stayed back in New Orleans, he had taken a job at Taco Bell to, to get health insurance. And so we shared one car in Atlanta. And if you are listening and you know anything about Atlanta, Georgia, it is one of the most spread out freaking little cities you will (laughs) ever experience. And you could be going down the street and it'll take you 20 minutes. Okay. So we have one car. We only knew one family that we trusted here that could, that could help us with Reagan. She was about two at the time, not even quite two. 
we literally, I would drop him off. He transferred at a Taco Bell that was about 45 miles away from our house. And then I would take Reagan about 25 miles south only to come back to do a job at like an odd job um, at this place that was near, that was literally seven minutes away from where we lived because we had the one car. That was our life for a year of me getting up at 5 a.m. to make this whole route, taking two and a half to three hours to do it all, only to come and work, work for like five or six hours, and then start that process over, go get Reagan, pick Gerald up in the evening, and come back. That was a year by itself. Um, I volunteered at financial education nonprofits. So I could have tried to get, I did try to get other jobs. I never could, after all the experience I had with my business, I had never been an employee, like a bona fide employee as an adult. So people would not give me jobs. They would say you're overqualified. So I couldn't get jobs, but something in my spirit was like, if you get a job, like these type of jobs you're looking for, it's going to take you away from what you know you were called to do. Because on the bathroom floor, I knew I was supposed to help people in personal finance education, even though I was broke <laughs> and had just chased the power man down. Something in my spirit was still like, this is what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, God, you are nuts, but I'm going to go in that direction. Obedience. So I volunteered at these financial education nonprofits for like 18 months. And the good thing about volunteering was it let me see that it was possible to create something and be compensated for helping other people in this area. At that time, while I was volunteering is when I started to write my first book. So I had started a blog when I got off the bathroom floor, never monetized it, but it led me to writing for other blogs. So I was writing for other blogs volunteering in financial uh, education nonprofits and driving my family all over Atlanta all at the same time. All this was happening. And I had an odd job where I was literally getting like $500 every two to three weeks. So it wasn't much. It was gas money <laughs> by that time. It was basically the gas money. Um, still on, still on um, food stamps at the time. It wasn't until 2000, I think, 11, like the end of 2011, one of those um, financial education nonprofits offered me a job and the job was not even ready to go at that moment, <laughs> but they offered me a job. That was my first job. I only stayed there for a year because I'm not a great employee. I was wonderful at what I did, but they had too many meetings. And I was like, what are we meeting about again? Why are we meeting again? <laughs> but by then me writing for blogs had turned into me writing for Upscale, Black Enterprise. I was writing for Physical Magazine, Sheen Magazine. So I was building a name. And those nonprofits, I was out speaking and teaching curriculum on their behalf. So when you look back, the breadcrumbs, what God was doing, I had no idea that it would lead to a multiple seven-figure business. I had no idea that I would be an in-demand you know, six, multiple six-figure speaker. I had no idea that I would become a brand influencer. I had no idea I would end up creating a podcast that I think we just crossed 13 million downloads in less than five years. I had no idea that it would turn into five books and I'm working on a sixth. I had no idea that all these things were ha would happen. The only prayer that I had at that time was God use me. 
That was my prayer all the time. And I spent so much time in the car (laughs) driving. I would praise and worship music and be like, God, I know, I know this won't last always. God used me. God used me. God used me. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. And I'm not even attached to what it's supposed to look like. Just use me. And when I look back over these last 10, 11 years, you just see the God winks and the breadcrumbs that he was leaving all, all along. And that's why sometimes, you know, I would tell you guys this in P2P, like you just got to start. You just have to give God something to bless. Doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you have to give, whatever morsel you have to give, whatever you can muster up to give, give God something to bless. And I guarantee he knows what you're working on when he sees, he knows what you're waiting on when he sees what you're working on. So I was doing those things, planting seeds all over the place. And, you know, I always say there's always someone watching you has the power to bless you. Steve Harvey taught me that lesson. There's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you, but what are they watching you do? Who are they watching you be? And I am here as a poster child of people watching while I was just doing what I felt called to do. And, and my name would be spoken in rooms that I couldn't have even prayed for. But my, my heart was just God used me. Yeah. So there was a lot in between a, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've watched you in your business um not be afraid to evolve, right? So there are things that you start, um, you know, you try it on and then you decide, mm, this doesn't fit for me. Let me take it off. You know what I mean? So there's some programs that were there at the beginning that are no longer there. But just talk to us about what is your view on um, evolving as a person? Because I think sometimes people get attached to the how they're doing something. And anyway, I'll let you talk. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that is so important to not be attached. I'm committed to the vision of helping people redefine wealth for themselves. Like I'm committed to the vision of pushing more people to chase purpose. I am committed to the vision of helping women find their voice and use their voice in a powerful and mighty way. I'm not attached to a membership, a mastermind, a course, a program. However, I feel led to do that at that time is I believe what God is calling me to do, right? And so when I think about, for example, the program that you initially came through, the mastermind was Mastery and Momentum. I only did that twice. I only did Mastery and Momentum twice. Love the concept. The execution was a little difficult because my team was not big enough yet to really do it the way that I had envisioned it fully, right? But when I look at some of you guys, when I look at, um, you know, Kathy, and I look at Chalu. I look at some of the women from the, the one after you. And I'm like, what if it was just for them? What if nothing else that I said at that moment? What if something else I created at that time did not speak to you? Like, maybe Africana woman wouldn't be here because you wouldn't have done Purpose to Platform. You kind of came into Purpose to Platform with mastery and momentum, right? And so I 
am okay with knowing that the people I was supposed to serve in that way to execute that vision at the time, whoever was supposed to be there was there. Like, what if it was just for those 28 women? Because we had two groups of 14. What if it was just for those 28 women? God used me. My prayer was God used me. What if he said, this is the only way you're going to reach Chalu? I was praying for you guys before I met you. I didn't know your names. I didn't know your faces. I didn't know what countries you would come from. But I was praying that the people who I was supposed to serve in that season would hear me. They would feel it. They would know. It would resonate. And they would be like, this is for me. And that's what happened. Right? So I'm not attached to how anything is delivered. Now, the business coach side of me is like, hey, (laughs) for Purpose to Platform, for example, that program has evolved quite a bit over the last three and a half years. We've opened the doors different ways. We've used different platforms to foster the community. Um, We set the weekly schedules up differently. When you came through, it was just me. It wasn't six other coaches that we have now, which is awesome. But that is something that I still feel called to do. And so I have a responsibility to even allow that to evolve. And the way that I usually know is the frustration. Frustration is a beautiful way. It's an invitation to figure out if you need to strengthen your boundaries, if you need to release something, if you need additional support. I love, like, you hate being frustrated, but I also have learned to love frustration because it lets me take a step back and go, what am I not paying attention to because I'm on autopilot? And when I lean into that, sometimes it might be you're fighting against letting go of something and God is trying to pull you into flow. You are designed to flow. You are designed to move through this life. This is what I tell myself. Like, you can do this with more grace and ease. I value grace, ease, peace. I value all of that wholeheartedly. Why are you allowing yourself to sit in frustration? What is happening? And when I get radically honest with myself, I usually come to that decision. And like you said, I'll be like, this doesn't serve me anymore. This does not work for me. I, I love you guys. I love what we've done. And I hope that for the season that I did it, it served you in a mighty way. But this is now causing me mental anguish. And the first pillar of redefining wealth is what? The fit pillar. So anything that messes with my mind that keeps me mentally going in circles is eventually going to impact all the other pillars. I'm going to see it in my people pillar. I'm going to see it in my space pillar. Because I'm going to start, my desk going to start looking crazy or some drawer <laughs> near my desk. It's like that's the physical manifestation of chaos in your mind, things you're not addressing. I'm going to see it in, in all of the pillars. And so I know that eventually when I don't deal with something up front, it's going to in, impact the money pillar, which is the one that we all want to focus on and get to. But it's very difficult to do that if you don't address the other things. And so in business, I look at it like big corporations. They'll have something like, think of fast food restaurants. They'll have something on the menu and they'll take that thing right off if it's not selling. It's not working. It's too hard to make. The ingredients are more difficult to get than you thought it would be. Manufacturers change. And so now your whole, you know, distribution is all jacked up or more expensive. They take it off. Why are we any different as small business owners? Why do we feel like we have to save face 
and just suffer through something that no longer serves us. Mm-mm. Not doing that. <laughs> no. You know, I've worked with um, a number of ladies who, you know, they're excited. They're, you know, they're going to start this this um, thing that they, you know, that they feel in their heart is their purpose. And then the one person shows up. They were advertising. People were like, oh, my God, yeah, they were coming. This is amazing. And then one person shows up. And then the, mm-hmm. then the doubt kicks in and the frustration and all of that. Um, what would you say that woman? Mm-hmm. I would say, remember an audience of one is still an audience. Mm-hmm. And if you genuinely feel called to do something, you have to keep going. If you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Do an encore presentation, do the webinar again, do the yeah. live again, do the, you don't stop because one person didn't show up. Cause here's the truth. Most of us are trying to force our friends and family to support things that don't resonate with them. You, my cousin, that don't mean you are a candidate for purpose to platform. She didn't come to my five day challenge. She's not my client. She's not the person that I'm called to serve in that way. And we get so upset when our friends and family don't support us, but it's our responsibility to go get our people. And the only way that we get them, that we find them is to be consistent If no one really listened to your first five episodes and you gave up, look at what you would be giving up. Look at the cost of that. You're at a hundred episodes. I'm going on like 275 or something like that. Look, my family was not listening. Let me tell you, when I first started my blog in 2009, got up off the bathroom floor, I was sending it. I didn't even know how to blind copy BCC. I just was emailing everybody that I knew, just spamming them, just the whole Anybody I knew in my email, like, here's my blog. The first couple of weeks, people thought it was cute. They were like, oh, congratulations. Yeah, that's so cool, right? After a few weeks, nothing really. And then I remember asking two people that meant the most to me at that time, my mom and Gerald, who was my husband at the time, right? I was like, hey, what did you guys think about my post this week? Oh, dang, I didn't really get around to it. Oh, okay. Next week, hey, What did you think about the post? My mom was like, I've been so busy at work. Like, I just have not had a chance. It was, it's literally a four to five minute read. (laughs) Okay. And I stopped blogging. I was like, if the people that are closest to me don't think that this is good enough or worth their time, what am I doing? I ended up creating a LinkedIn and I was like, you need to get a job. At the time, it wasn't like everybody had LinkedIn. It was still, I think for me, it was kind of new because I had always been an entrepreneur. I was like, I've, let me do something with my life. And it was weeks that went by before a man ended up sending me an email to my Yahoo account. That tells you what time it was back then. Yahoo. He sent an email and he was like, Hey, I hope you're well. I've been enjoying your blog and you haven't posted recently. Just wanted to reach out, you know, and just say, I hope you're well. And I was like, who is this man? Stranger danger. Where did he come from? I only knew how to go in and put the post and add a little picture. I didn't know about analytics. I didn't know that I I didn't know that I was missing comments, that you had to improve comments. The way Blogspot was set up at the time, clearly you had to know what you were doing. And I didn't, I just knew enough to like post it. And I went in to the back end and I started clicking around 
And I saw, oh, I have comments. People left comments five weeks ago that I needed to approve. So there were comments. And then I could see how many views of the blog post. Well, some of the posts have 40 views, 50 views, 87 views. And I'm like, oh, there are people that have been enjoying this or maybe reading this. I had subscribers, didn't know that was a thing because I had never blogged. I just met someone in Starbucks, a lady, and she talked about blogging. I was like, oh, I'll do that, right? That man taught me that an audience of one is still an audience. I consider him to this day, and I wish I could break into that Yahoo and find that email. I consider that man to this day an angel. Without him, there is no Chalu. Like without him, there is no redefining wealth podcast without him. There may have never been any books when I got that email and it prompted me to go search. And I realized, even though my friends and family may not be supporting, this is resonating with someone out there. It's okay. I'm supposed to be able to serve strangers. (laughs) Like once I got that down, I was like, I'm, I'm not stopping again. It may evolve. It may morph into something else, but I'm not quitting again because there's someone out there who's waiting on me. That man was looking for me. He was waiting on that next post and I went four or five weeks cold because my feelings were hurt. No, no. Our purpose is so much greater than waiting on friends and family to get behind it. It it probably was not created for them and that's okay. But I will never postpone purpose again behind people that don't get it. I'm not here for you. If you don't get it, I'm not your person. And that's okay. Yeah, you need to get comfortable with not everybody, you know, signing up for what you want. Well, all good things must come to an end. I know. Um, I do have some questions. So in Africana woman, we have a saying, and guys, I feel like from this conversation, (laughs) you know where the saying comes from. (laughs) So the saying is know your roots, grow your purpose. And, um, know is an acronym for knowledge, nourish, um, operates in obedience and weakness. Um, so you guys know, you, I mean, just listen to the whole conversation, you know. Uh, so I have four questions for you. Okay. Um, the first question, what are you rooted to? I'm rooted to my faith. Mm-hmm. I believe that my faith in God, and I don't be- I'm not saying that in a super religious way. I mean, genuinely my relationship with God and my ability to discern and be still enough to tap into what I, I genuinely feel like God is calling me to do and the paths that I'm called to take and the decisions I'm called to make. I'm rooted in that. So I'm not easily swayed by man. Like you can hit me with all kinds of stuff and I'll be like, unless the Lord CCs me on this memo that you bring in, I don't believe it. (laughs) And I think God knows that about me. So he does send visions, dreams, um, prophets. Like the way that my life unfolds is nuts, but it's just the way God speaks to me. So that's what I'm rooted in. Yeah. And I mean, just even the way that I found you, I know a spirit led and I know you know, other people 
say that all the time that you know how they came across you was just spirit led so yeah i i um i can see that so the next question you love this one um what are your favorite ways to nourish your mind your body and your soul my favorite way to nourish mind body and soul is first of all um i take one day off a week um, to just be with Patrice. So weekends are family, but Wednesdays when Reagan is at school, it is uh, a me day. So whatever that looks like, whether that's just sleeping or um, doing extended workouts or whatever I feel like doing, it's a spirit led day um, with no real agenda. So that's one way that I do that. Um, but also uh, fit pillar, <laughs> Therapy is how I nourish my mind, body, and soul. Sometimes she wears me out, but in a good way. Um, also, I work out five times a week. I'm very consistent and dedicated to that. It is like my time to know that I'm doing something that is strictly for me. Like every other people get the benefit, but it's like, this is about me. So I work out um, 60 to 75 minutes, five times a week, and Adult coloring book is my friend. Um, puzzles, reading books. I'm still that. I'm still quiet. Like I was raised to be. I know I'm loud with my clients and stuff, but really, other than that, I'm very quiet. So those things still those nourish me. I and I journal, journal, journal. I'm always in self reflection, and I'm always in my prayer room. Those things really ground me and nourish me um do you have a weakness that has now become a superpower (laughs) a weakness that has now become a superpower I used to think the way that I cared about people was a weakness Like I used to feel like toughen up, you know, that's not your business. (laughs) Why are you over there in their business? Cause I would just want, I would have such a strong desire to help people. It's a superpower now because I can direct it towards people who desire to be helped when it was trying to force it on people who were not ready and who did, quite frankly, they didn't deserve me in that season. Now, redirecting that energy to the work that I do with my clients and loving people, even if it has to be tough, but like putting that energy into people, that is a superpower because I, I see the ripple effect of that all over the world now. But I used to try to put that into people who were not ready. They were not my audience, though. I wasn't assigned to them. I was just related. Mm, I have a question, but I'm going to hold it. (laughs) Okay. Um, And then what do you know as a certainty? With full certainty, I know that I was born on purpose, with purpose, for purpose, for such a time as this. Like, I am here at the time I'm supposed to be here. I wasn't born a day earlier, and I won't leave this earth a day sooner than I'm supposed to. Like, I 
<laughs> was designed for this time to do the work that God put me here to do. And I'm committed to it always. That's so beautiful. Okay, Patrice. So please let the audience know how do they find you? How do they support you? Is there anything exciting that's coming up? I hear you're working on a new book. When is that going to be out? That has time, time, time. (laughs) That'll probably be two years. Um, I'm in a season of my life, which I call scaling joy. Mm. And I'm really just documenting. Uh, When I turned 40 in 2021, it really started a deep introspection. And a lot of things have changed in my life over these last 18 months or so. And I'm just documenting the journey and just allowing it to unfold. And I want to support, you know, that's always my heart, right? So I'm going through some, I'm like, let me find the lessons and give it to the people. So that's how, (laughs) so that's what that is. So I think I'm probably a good two years away from that. Um, But it's in my heart, it's in my spirit. And um, I would say if you are someone who's like, well, I don't feel like I was born on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. I would say, come take the purpose challenge. I finally did it um, evergreen because I would meet people after I had done the live challenge. And I'm like, dang, you should have been in the challenge. It's like, just give it to the people, you know, 365. So go to com and you can do this five-day challenge where I walk you through really uncovering what your purpose is. Um, and hopefully give you some some inspiration and some practical next steps you can take to really start to uncover this for yourself because it's such a beautiful journey. Um, and even though it's hard and difficult and easy, it's still beautiful when you feel like, man, I know what I'm here to do. Like, look at the impact that I have. And I want more people to experience that, especially women. Um, and then on social media, you can find me at Seek Wisdom PCW on Instagram. That's my favorite place to hang out. Seek Wisdom PCW. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Patrice, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on the Africana Woman podcast. Oh, my heart is so full. <laughs> and I I know that, you know, whoever's going to listen to this is going to be blessed. Um you know, um, and I, I, I feel like every time I, I, I get to talk to you, I want to tell you, like, you have completely changed my life through the things that you have created, um, the community that you have built, um, and it continues to bless me. Like, this this year, I mean, I did the program in, like, 2020 or something like that, and I, this year I have like clients coming in um, from Purpose to Platform who are like, oh, we saw you on the website and we're like, oh, we want to work with her. Like, um, like, it's like a gift that keeps giving. Um, and I am just so grateful, so grateful for um, being led to you and um giving myself that permission to say that it's possible that I can do the program and just going through it and um, just continually being blessed. So I, I love you, Patrice. Thank you. I love you too. I'm so proud of you. I can't tell you enough how proud I am to just, uh, to see all of you guys literally go from purpose to platform, like 
from learning to give yourself permission to embrace your purpose to building a platform, a purposeful one that is blessing people and doing such great things in the world. Again, it fills my heart. I never get tired of seeing you win and I never will. I'm so incredibly proud of you. And one day I'm going to hug you in person. Yes. One day <laughs> we're, we're going to meet and it's not going to be a Zoom call. I know. I know. <laughs> I love you too, Chalu. Thank you for having me. Thank you. There's not really much else to say after that, is there? <laughs> Catch episode 99 for an in-depth conversation with me. At Africana Woman, we give our guests their roses right now. Please find Patrice on Instagram at SeekWisdomPCW. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. The mission of Africana Woman has always been to tell more African women's stories. One of the ways that we're doing this is by helping you start your own podcast. If you have a burning idea and are interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start, contact us at africanawoman at gmail.com. Your story is important. My playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me. Tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcast, because that helps us spread the word about this show to more African sisters out there. So talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.